You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do is if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We're going to be jumping around, though, to a number of different passages. Um, I'm going to be looking in Exodus 13.2. You can turn there. I will have the scriptures on the screen. Um, But here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about finances. And you you may ask the question, you know, uh, why talk about finances? I mean, um, well, number one, I would just say is the Bible actually talks about it a whole lot. So we talk about whatever the Bible talks about. Um, 16 out of 38 of Jesus's parables deal with money and possessions. 25% of Jesus's words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship. One out of every 10 verses in the gospel deal with money. Jesus, in fact, he talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell combined. Um, very, very, uh, uh, very, very uh, much repetitive in the scriptures. There's more than 2,000 Bible verses um, that speak about this topic that I'm going to address today called tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of your income uh, to honor the Lord, and it's a symbol or sign of you're honoring the Lord with the whole. It would be like you know, it's a dedication unto the Lord. And so that 10% is uh, mentioned some 2,000 different times. And um, the Bible mentions it, I think, so frequently in the scriptures because there's a good reason for it. It's, uh, I think the, our faith and our finances, there's a, there's a pretty strong connection there. And I could make a biblical case for that, and I, I will. But here's the idea. When Jesus said that no one can serve two masters, he will either hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He said clearly, you cannot serve God and you cannot serve money. What does he mean by that? He, what he means by that is that if, if you're not careful, money has a powerful uh, seduct, seductive uh, power to it because it, we need it, right? You, you need money in order to buy things. You need money to pay off debts. You need money to pay Uncle Sam. You need money uh, to provide for your family. You need money. And what happens is, though, is if we're not really careful, we can end up serving money, not Jesus. We can worship our wealth, not worship with our wealth. Uh, I think that perhaps um, the most significant idol that we could have in our lives would be is money. Um, the idol is anything that stands in the way of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so um, the Bible is very clear that it is more blessed to give than it is to what? Yeah, so like, we've got to be those givers. We all want to be generous people. Nobody wants to be the Scrooge. Nobody wants to be those greedy people. Um, but the question is how? And my guess is in your marriage or, or in your family, somebody is more generous than the other. And I might have started a fight on Sunday afternoon now. But you know what I'm saying? But let that generosity, at the end of the day, let the Bible win. Let God's word win over your life. I think um, what I want to present to you is what I've taught my own family. And I teach the tithe. I believe in the tithe. Um, five reasons why every Christian should tithe. This is my, my view. Um, you can have a different view. That's okay. Uh, there's a lot of biblical support for this concept. And so I'll walk you through it. Number one, tithing helps us to put 
first things first. It's the idea of putting first things first. Um, in every area of your life, and we'll, we'll look at that, but let me just illustrate it for a moment. Um, suppose I was at your house, I showed up at your house, and I had a really nice cake, and it was covered with uh, a, a, you know, Reynolds wrap or aluminum foil or something. I said, hey, good morning. I, you know, Leslie just made this strawberry cake, and I was eating it this afternoon, and I just thought of you, and it tasted so good. It's just wonderful. It's like her best. And today, I was eating this last piece, and I thought of you, and I just thought, before I take my final bite, I, I put my fork down. And I said, you know what? I'm taking the crumbs over to my friend today. That would be pretty awkward, right? How would you feel? But contrast the emotion with one that would be different if I knocked on your door and I had a cake pan and oven mitts and I said, hey, Leslie just pulled this out of the oven a few minutes ago. And I was thinking about you. It's still hot. No one has touched it. I know you were wanting to celebrate something and we were thinking about you and I got here as fast as I could. And I want you to have the first piece. I want you to have the first piece, and I want to celebrate with you. Uh, I want you to have the whole cake. Uh, I did bring my fork in case you're willing to share. But how would you respond if I did that? You know, um, my concern is is sometimes in Christianity we give God the leftovers rather than give them first. It's very clear in all throughout the Bible that Jesus requires He wants to be in the first place. Amen. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Jesus takes up first place. When it comes to money, which is, I believe, the most powerful idol that we have as Americans, then we've got to do something. When you tithe, I believe tithing helps you to put that first things first priority into your whole family. This is what we make. This is what we have. Let's honor the Lord first. And then the whole family's like, man, that's, that's a challenge. But I think it's a good one. Is it biblical? I think it is biblical. Exodus 13, 2. Um, I think this first things first principle goes all throughout Scripture in all areas of life. Exodus 13, 2. Um, um, is, the word says, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast is mine. Um, this is a consecration of the firstborn child for the nation of Israel. Um, this is after the institution of the Passover when God's people were delivered out of bondage and slavery from Egypt. And right after they commemorate that and they celebrate this Passover meal, this consecration, the calling of dedicating one of the kids to the Lord and to the livestock is given unto the Lord. And it's very interesting to me. It's just right before two, the Ten Commandments, when God calls Moses and tells him, this is the law for your nation. So it's sandwiched into between some pretty historical events for the nation of Israel. And what happens is here is there's this kind of consecration that every family is going to have to deal with this, that they're going to have to dedicate a child to the Lord, dedicate their resources to the Lord. And this firstborn dedication, it's a reminder of God's blessing, but it's also a reminder of God's curse. Because you see, the, the firstborn child, um, there was a, the 10th plague that God issued to Egypt was that the firstborn child would be taken. And the firstborn child would die. 
if they didn't obey what Moses had said, free my people. And so it was a, it was a reminder for everybody in the family that, hey, we belong to the Lord and we're going to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. That's that firstborn, that first things first principle. Proverbs 3, 9 says the same thing, but it says more specifically to financial wealth and to uh, resources of the home or the small business. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. It says, honor the Lord with all your wealth, all the income that you have. You're to honor the Lord. You're to thank the Lord for it. And how do you do that? You do that through giving with the first fruits. That'd be the, that's the first things first. It's not the leftovers. And then Matthew 6.33, we, we remember the principle Jesus said about the kingdom of God. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I know that it's hard in giving that if you feel like if you don't, uh, if you don't uh, give, uh, uh, then you might feel guilty. I know that if you do give, you might feel like, man, is God going to provide for me? I will tell you this, in the last, I don't know, 10 years of doing ministry, the people that tithe in our church never has one person ever come to me in, in the last 10 years and said, I regret tithing. Here's what I hear from people. God has blessed me so much. I am so grateful for how God has provided for in my life. Um, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Um, that's another cross-reference to Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. God provides. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, another first things, first principle all throughout Scripture, um, says this, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside to store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth and saying, hey, at the first day of the week, you, you, you should be setting something aside. Um, in the New Testament, after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the believers moved their celebration and their gathering from Saturday to Sunday to acknowledge the Lord and the resurrection of Jesus and the power of that. But on that day should be a consecration, a giving of uh, financial resources and to set something aside. And it says, as he may prosper. That's the idea like with how you're doing and uh, able to do it so that there will be no collecting when I come, is what the Apostle Paul says. Number two, tithes were required in the Old Testament. It was required. It wasn't like an option. It was like, this is what you do. If you're a believer, you tithe. You don't just give, you tithe. Uh, Leviticus 27.30 says this. It says, Everything, every tithe of the land, whether of seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It's when you're giving and you're tithing, that's a sacred portion of your income that you're using for God to do something really good with. I think it's as well. So it's... Um, opening, strategically placing yourself in a spot where you can receive more of God's blessing. Because when you're obedient, the Bible says is that when we're obedient, God rewards obedience. Amen? So if you're obedient, the best place you can be with God, for me, if I'm blatantly disobedient, I am afraid of God. Because I know that God disciplines his, his children whom he loves just like a father. If my son is disobedient, he's a little afraid. He knows 
dad's going to come talk to him. <laughs> and so the Lord says it's holy. It's, it's, it's to the Lord. So when you give financially, it is a joyful thing and that you give to the Lord. It's a celebration. It should be great that like you're excited to do that. And I know it's hard. It can be very difficult to do that. But look at the ownership that God has. He really owns everything. We've learned that last week. But Malachi 3, 8 through 9, God's pretty upset about how the nation of Israel's doing. He says this, will man rob God? You're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? His response, in your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse for robbing me. The whole nation of you. You know what this implies to me? Because that word rob or robbery is mentioned multiple times. So what does that imply to me? That God owns something. Like if somebody robs you, they took something from you. So what God is saying here is something belonged to me and you never, you, you took it. We don't think about it like that, do we? See, everything you have belongs to the Lord. Every penny in your bank account, every talent and skill that you have, every child that you have in your family, the car, the home, all of that is Lord, the Lord's. And the Bible goes so far to say he's the one who gave you the ability to produce the income and the wealth to go do that. So it's like your posture has to be very humble and honoring to the Lord. If you truly believe in God, if God is your creator, if God is your Lord, then take it seriously that this is the Lord's word to us, and it's a warning for us that we're to honor the Lord. And it's not out of uh, hurt or shame. It's out of help and healing and joy. Um, oftentimes, the people that are tithing have got their priorities straight. So they, the 10, 10, 80 rule, I call it, you give 10, you save 10, and you live on 80% of all your income. Um, that's hard to do sometimes, especially if you love stuff. If you like trucks like I do, if you like houses or if you like all that, and it's okay to like that stuff. But that 10, 10, 80 rule is very, very helpful for you to do that. But there's blessing in living within your boundaries. Malachi 3.10, this is what the Lord says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is definitely a unique portion of scripture in the Bible. God offers a test. The nation of Israel was in deep trouble and needed to turn. They needed to honor the Lord with their resources. And God's saying, I'll provide for you, but you've got to be obedient. You need to, you need to honor me in this area of your life. Number three, tithes were ex expected and exceeded in the New Testament. I'm going to work through a number of passages in the New Testament where I believe that tithes, tithing, giving 10%, that was, they are ex expected, like it's expected that we should be tithing as a believer, a New Testament believer who has the blessing and revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, like we ought to be expected in some sense to tithe, I would I believe so. And then um, I think it should be exceeded. It should go beyond the tithe. Let me walk through passages of Scripture. Matthew 23, 3, um, tithes were expected. Jesus speaks to a Pharisee. This guy's a hypocrite 
Um, the word hypocrite leader uh, came from the Greek word that was uh, indicated that somebody's wearing a mask in the Greek theater. And he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, that's good, mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things you will have ought to done. Uh, so what, what should they have done? They should have done justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They weren't doing that. They're giving their money, but they're not really doing, they're not being just and fair. They're probably ripping people off. Um, they're lying. They're not being merciful. They're not being faithful to the Lord. But then he says, without neglecting the others. Well, what are the others? The others is tithing. So Jesus commends the idea of tithing. He doesn't, uh, uh, con- uh, condemn it, he actually commends it. He says, don't neglect that, but you've neglected all these other things. So that's one passage. Uh, well, what about exceeding the tithe? Tithes were exceeded all throughout the scriptures. Jesus used as one of the greatest examples of sacrificial giving is the poor widow's uh, money. Remember when she gave all that she had? Let's look, Mark 12, 41 through 44. It says that Jesus, he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. They put in a lot of money. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And if you were run to the comparisons of what that is, that's like a, that would have been uh, all that she had. That was like a, a bit like a salary almost. It wasn't. It was in verse 43, and he called the disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. She's put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Now let's pump the brakes. If I was there with Jesus and I watched this lady do that and I knew her story, I would you be like me? Would you probably be like, oh, I don't know if she should do that. I don't know if she should give all that. That's a lot of money for her. I remember when we bought this property and my family tried to lead the way in generosity and, and uh, we had other people at different levels of financial stability and, and whatever. They gave sacrificially and they gave, I was scared they were giving too much. And I almost tried to talk them out of giving to the church because I was afraid, like, what if they didn't have enough? And I remember coming across this passage and a number of others, and I'm like, I'm not going to stop that. I'll let God trust that. And if, if something doesn't happen, then the church is here to help take care. Here's my point. Jesus raises the bar when it comes to giving. He never really lowered it. I think Jesus raises the bar on everything. I think Jesus always raises the bar, never lowers it. And you say to me like, oh, tell me more. Okay, Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Jesus said, you've heard it, you've heard that it was said that of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus also says about adultery, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust, lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's my point? Jesus raises the bar. He never lowers it. He, he always raises the bar. 
Uh, look what he says in Matthew 19, 21 to a rich guy who says like, hey, uh, what do I got to do to get into heaven? Jesus, man, he tells him exactly what he does not want to hear. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The Bible tells us in another passage is that the rich guy did not want to do that. He walked away because he could not part with his wealth. He said, I can't do that. Jesus raises the bar. He never lowers it. Uh, Tithes were exceeded in the New Testament as well. People aren't just given 10%. They're given all that they have. They're given everything. So, I mean, like when you look at the New Testament and you're going to try to build a theology of giving, um, you can't avoid these passages. Here's one, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's a very poor community, a very poor place. For in their severe test of affliction, maybe there was a pandemic, there was some persecution going on, there was a, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. They're very, very poor. He says, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And then he goes on to say, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, meaning it's what they had. And then some did this and beyond their means of their own accord. He didn't tell them, you better give sacrificially. He didn't tell them that you better do this or that. It, they gave as they wanted to, but they gave uh, beyond their means. Um, years ago, we went down to Mexico. I'm looking forward to going back um, in just a few weeks after the Hawaii trip come back. Got a few days in the office, and then we're packing up with a bunch of you guys, and we're going down to Mexico. We're going to build another house, and we got a family already picked out. We're excited about that, um, and so it's just going to be an awesome time. I don't know if we have a picture of that or not, um, but we'll show it to you in this next week and be praying for that family. But I remember one time we were building uh, the house, we finished the house, and the family said, um, hey, we would love to have a, a meal with you, and we want to cook for everybody. Um, and so we're like, man, that's going to be very expensive, feeding like 50, 60 people. I mean, this could be very expensive on this family. And uh, I was like, well, what are we going to eat? And we'll, we'll, they've got... Um, one of the family members is a commercial uh, fisherman out in the ocean, and he's going to bring in some fish, fresh fish. I was like, that's going to be amazing. I'm like, well, where are we going to cook it? And they pull out a gigantic hubcap, like a, like a bus hubcap. They're like, we're going to cook it in there. And I'm like, okay, don't tell the rest of our church that right now, you know. Uh, but this sounds pretty amazing. And I talked to Scott, the president of I-68, and he says, Ryan, they're probably going to be struggling deeply financially to make this happen, but you should do it. You should tell the whole church, or tell the mission team that we should eat together and enjoy it in the name of Jesus. So I told the team, hey, we got to do this. This is what they want to do. I see this Macedonian spirit in the heart of Mexicans that are down there in Mexico that want to give back and do something. And it's beyond their means in some way but they do it on their own accord. Tithes were exceeded in the early church, all throughout the early church. Tithes were exceeded Acts 4, 34. There was not a needy person among them, for many were owners of lands and houses and sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had needs. All throughout the Scripture, there's this 
testimony of, of that sacrificial giving, but they do it willfully. So tithes are expected in the New Testament, in my assessment, and they're exceeded all throughout the New Testament. So what is, what is it for? In the Old Testament, it was to supply the Levites and the ministry of the Levites, the ministers within the temple. In the New Testament, it's the expansion, a lot of the ministries of the local church, and it's the expansion of starting new churches. Let's look. Tithes fund the ministries and the missions. Even in the life of Jesus, Jesus was funded. How did Jesus get bankrolled in his ministry? Some ladies stepped up and financially contributed. Probably some well-to-do, uh, business-savvy ladies that were able to, to finance the ministry of Jesus. Look what it says, Luke 8, 1 through 2. Soon after, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Continuing on, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chosa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their, help me out, their what? Their means. Jesus had a team of ladies that were contributing. There were men as well. There's Nicodemus, who's there to help with the burial of Jesus Christ. There's also Joseph of Arimathea. These are wealthy, well-to-do individuals that are contributing to the ministry of our Lord. So when you're tithing, it's funding ministries and missions. Let's look at missions. Churches were funded through giving. Philippians 4.15, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he says, you yourselves know that in the beginning of of the gospel, this proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Imagine being in that church um, in Philippi, which by the way, when you read Philippians, it's a letter of just joy and gratitude. And Paul opens it up and says, I want to thank God and all my remembrance of you because of your partnership with me. When we started this church, we had a hundred different families from across the country. Some of you are those families. You financially contributed to help start this church before it ever took root. It's a partnership. When you give, it's a partnership of helping expand ministries and missions for the name and fame of Jesus. Paul was excited about that. and He was grateful for that. So much so that he instructed Timothy, one of his church planner uh, friends, and said, look, here's what you need to tell the folks that have wealth. Here's what he says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, be, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Teaching on money was always a part of the church. You had to. It was organized. Hey, 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 everybody, remember, you got to come the first day of the week. Let's set it aside early so we don't have to do that when we get here. That's what the Apostle Paul would say. He told Timothy, you need to do this. And some of you are saying, well, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. Ha ha. Well, you're rich if you have food in your refrigerator. You're rich if you have a roof over your head. You're rich if you have clothes on your back. At least you're rich in comparison to the world standards where 75% of the world does not have access to clean water and all that. Come to Mexico and I'll show you who's rich and who's poor. 
when you walk through some of the streets and they don't have sewage appropriately managed, when they lose water because nobody wants to come and fill up the water trucks, when they turn off the power because Rocky Point needs more power. That's poverty. I'm not against uh, all the nice things. After the mission trip, we go over to the to the resort and we enjoy a few days on the beach. And spring break has been, for my family, one of our most favorite times of the year because we go serve and make a meaningful difference and then we go to the beach. And my kids, I ask them, what's your most favorite part of the trip? And you know what they've said to me? In the beginning, they said, oh, the beach. I didn't like building that house. But you know what they say now at 18 years old? It's always the home. It's always the family. It's always making a difference. So here's some lessons for you. This is really good. First Timothy 6, 17 through 18. Let me give you some points on this. Um, commands from the Apostle Paul, rules for rich people. Um, and we're all rich people in comparison standards. He just says, I'm going to summarize it for you, not on the screens, but he says, be humble, number one. Number two, don't put your hope in money. Number three, put your hope in God. Number four, you're going to appreciate this. Enjoy it. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy your home. Enjoy your car. Enjoy that truck. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy your phone. Enjoy the technology that you have. Enjoy the jeans that you wear, the shoes that you have. Enjoy everything because the Bible tells us that it's meant that we're to enjoy it. The Bible doesn't teach the idea of poverty theology that you have to get rid of the phone, get rid of the car, get rid of all of that in order to be holy. No, that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach the idea that if you have all the nice things in life, it did a prosperity theology that you're somehow good, better, godly, godlier than others or whatever. The Bible teaches that says whatever you have, you honor the Lord. That's called stewardship theology. And so that's how we're to live. And so he says, enjoy it. He says, do good in that verse. Do good. Be generous. That's giving. And share. And funny, a lot of things have not changed from the time we were little babies to now we're older people. Share. I don't want to. Years ago, I used to loan books out and uh, people would borrow my books and they bring them back and they're all torn up and marked up or they wouldn't even bring them back. And that bothered me. And now I just said, forget it. If I loan a book out, I'm like, it's yours. You can have it. I don't expect it back. Funding ministries and missions. Let's, let's uh, look at another passage and then we'll go on to this next point. Funding ministries and mission. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia. Notice it's not one church. It's all the churches of Galatia. That's a city. So you are to do, you also are to do, so the church in Corinth should do what Galatia is doing. And he says, on the first day of every week, there's a time, there's a pattern. This is normal within the church. All the churches were to do this. Here's a point that I thought about, and I believe this, is I, I don't think a church will ever reach its full potential if members, staff, or elders refuse to tithe or give sacrificially. I think the, the mission will be limited. The mission will be limited by the leadership. The mission will be limited by the congregation. God is unlimited. His agenda is to change the entire world. And he uses the local church. 
when people can't get on board in, in, in investing into kingdom projects or they're not sharing their faith and they're not being obedient, then the projects and the scope and the influence of ministry will be limited. I remember sitting in one of a, an elder team meeting in one of the most influential churches in the United States. I was a young church planter and I was invited in to kind of see how the internal workings of a church. And I had the privilege of sitting inside a room, a business meeting of an, a, a church. And one guy says, I'm really concerned. All of our ministries are waning. All our mission projects are waning. The church is struggling financially. These people just aren't giving enough. And then one brave guy stood up and just said, he put his hands on the table and he said, I have a question for you men. And I thought, uh-oh, this is going to be interesting. He said, are you guys giving? Are you guys tithing? And not one person said a word. And he said, there's your reason. How is God going to bless this? How are we asking people to do something that we're not willing to do? That guy became the most influential leader in that church. That whole church changed, redirected itself, and God's continuing to bless it on a national level. My point is, I think that we can reach our limit. Number five, five reasons why every Christian should tithe. I believe tithing teaches you to trust God in extraordinary ways. I don't know how we're going to do it. We'll try. I don't know how things are going to work. Well, maybe God wants to raise your standard of giving and not simply your standard of living. That's hard to hear, but... I think the scripture is filled with encouragement too that there's something even better than the things that we possess. Tithing teaches us to trust God that he will provide. Matthew 19, 29 says everyone, Jesus is talking about eternal treasures here. Matthew 18 or 19, 29, he says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. These are the disciples that left their family, left their friends, left uh, the, the comforts of their uh, uh, home life, and they follow Jesus, and they're starting to give up stuff, and perhaps they're grumbling, and Jesus is like, hey, listen, you're going to be rewarded. Might not be in this life, but it'll be in the life to come. And we live for eternity, right? Doesn't the soul live forever? Those of you that feel old, remember I tell you, you are young. You can say you're old when you hit a thousand but when you're 60, 70, 80 years old, you are so young. We live forever. Every person on the planet lives forever. You either live in hell forever, eternal conscious punishment, or you live in heaven forever. Eternal joy, reward, encouragement, uh, worshiping, knowing, living, becoming all that God has designed you to be forever. So there's eternal life, there's a reward it's an extraordinary provision. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 12, um, there's another provision for the church in Corinth. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous. God's going to bless you as you're generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. As they give financially to the church, as they give to the church in Corinth, it's going to produce thanksgiving to God for all the ministry and the impact and the things that get to be accomplished in and through that church. Verse 12, 
For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's not only helping people uh, that are there in the church, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. There's a ripple effect. So there's this extraordinary provision, and it's an incredible opportunity. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says it as well. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, verse 10, and then, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Or how about you look back at that passage in Malachi, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. That's the only passage I know of in the Bible. It says, test me. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's pretty extraordinary. Here's what I'm going to do to help you illustrate that. I'm going to invite up uh, Matt, if, if you're in the room, help me uh, illustrate this. Uh, we've got a little um, diagram I want to draw for you. I do this every year, and um, hopefully it'll help you uh, understand a little bit more about this concept of, of giving and tithing and whatnot. Matt serves on our worship team, does a great job, serves with his wife. Give him a big round of applause. So I imagine in the room here today, I'm just going to come up with some fictional characters. So if your name is one of these guys, I'm not picking on you, okay? So uh, say there's a guy in the room, he's just like, you know, I'm going to call him Pete. And he sits on the, um, in the middle. So <laughs> those of you that are in the middle, uh, he sits in the middle. His name is Pete. I'm going to call him Pragmatic Pete. He's very pragmatic. Oh, Pastor Ryan, that's a good message. It's a good message. And then he literally gets in his car. He's like, that'll never work. That'll never work. I, I don't see how that's going to work. Because Pete says, he's out in the courtyard and he says, hey man, did you hear that message? I need, I, there's no way that's going to work for me. I got to live on 100% of what I make. I mean, there's no way. I've got a mortgage. I've got, I've got a wife. We want to do vacations. I've got kids that need private education or they're gearing up for college. There's no way. I need 100%. I got bills to pay. In order for me to move to A to B, I'm sorry. <laughs> as good as that is, no. I need 100%. And then Charles is his friend. And Charles is a good guy. I'm going to call him committed Charles. Charles is faithful to the Lord He's really learned to, to give and to serve, and he loves the scriptures. He loves Jesus Christ, but he's really good friends with Pete. Pete says to Charles, Charles, did you hear that? And Charles says, yeah, I heard that. I, 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 I tithe. And Pete says, well, I, th I thought you and I had about the same level of lifestyle. I mean, and Charles says, well, you know what, um, Pete, what you don't know is that I have learned to just live on 90%. I just live on 90%. I give some of that to savings, but I live on 90%. And Pete, I've learned to trust God with the 10%. I've got the same needs that you have. I've got the same size family. I have the same size, the cars and the vehicles. We've had to make some cuts, and we live on 90%, and I believe God is blessing that. And then Charles says, are you? And Pete says, no. And Charles says, hey, Pete, can I speak openly and honest to you? Pete says, yes. He says, 
I kind of think you're crazy. And Pete says, excuse me, what do you mean? And Charles says, well, because you're in the community group. You ask for God's blessing and favor, and you trust him with your marriage. You trust him with, uh, you, you trust him with your kids. You trust him in so many different areas. You ask God for his, your, his, the blessing and favor on your business. You're trusting God with your business. You're trusting God for your health. You're trusting God in so many different areas, but you're not trusting him with your finances. And then Pete says to Charles, Charles, I was thinking the same thing about you. You're crazy. How in the world can you trust God that he's going to be able to provide just living on 90%? And so then they get into what I'm going to call a crazy argument. Blaming somebody for being crazy. You're crazy, Pete. No, Charles, you're crazy. And Charles says, well, listen, Pete, I want to tell you something. I've learned to trust God on the, uh, and live on the 90%. And what's amazing that I hope that you'll experience one day is that God gives me an extraordinary provision where I see him provide in areas and ways that I had no idea he would. And it's the greatest blessing of my life. I love doing it. I hope that you can do that too. So here's the question I'm going to leave you with is which crazy are you going to be? Be a crazy Pete or a crazy Charles? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that we would live this truth out I pray, Father, for the areas uh, that we assess in our own life. I pray that we'd just be faithful, that we'd be at peace, God, and realize that you do provide and that your word is good and that you are true. And uh, Lord, where there's areas for adjustment, I pray that each and every family would do so. Uh, and they would look at the scriptures, they would evaluate in their own hearts and, and ask, how can we honor you are we honoring you? What all comes into our household? And how are we honoring the Lord uh, with those resources in this specific area of this tithe? So thank you, God, for the clarity and the blessing and encouragement that we find and the extraordinary provision. I pray that everybody would be faithful, Lord, and Lord, that we would be able to expand all of our ministries and our missions for your name and fame. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.